Welcome, Pastor John. Great job, Dave, Mark. You bless us every week, astonishingly so. When I look out, I want to commend you that you got up early. All right? This is always one of those, those uh, times when you're uh, running a church that you're not really sure who's going to show up. You are the remnant. How about that? When you read in Revelation about those last days and who's committed here, you are. You're here. So we're going to continue on our ongoing series about the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever really delivered in this world as the Son of God will speak about his plan for his disciples and for his kingdom. And so uh, today, Jesus is going to speak about the truth of the Bible, the truth of the Bible and what he believes about Scripture. Uh, And it's very interesting. And so the question is, why? Why would Jesus have to talk about his belief in the Scripture? Why would Jesus have to talk about why, what his belief was about the law and the prophets? Well, you see, if you study the context of that early church, you will see that people were mystified by Jesus. They didn't really understand who he was. Uh, here is this man who was not trained as a Pharisee, uh, but who appears to know more about Scripture than the Pharisees and the scribes, and the teachers. And here is a man who seems to criticize the religious practices of the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, and in every possible way, talks about uh, faith in God in a way that no one had ever spoken about before. Here he is speaking about something called grace. Grace. They had never heard that concept before, grace. Uh, and, and at the same time, he's talking about a personal relationship with the Father, where effectively you call him dead. That had never been done before. And so the question becomes, well, since he speaks like this, does he repudiate the law? Does he repudiate Scripture? Uh, does he repudiate the prophet? And so this message today has incredibly great relevance to us today. Uh, Because in this world, many people would change the gospel. Many people would change the scripture. Uh, And why do I say that? Well, you see denominations being cut apart by concepts such as the woke church, the woke movement, which effectively says that if you're a Christian, it's not enough to be saved It's not enough to have the atoning blood of Jesus Christ cover you. There is some further step that you must make in terms of atoning for slavery. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. We don't change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, you see today in our culture, we've redefined the roles of men and women. In fact, we don't even know who's a man or who's a woman. woman. We have different pronouns, all right? Even in terms of our bathroom facilities, we're not even sure who should go where and where it should be listed. Who would think that our culture has devolved like this? It's because we've turned away from the Bible. We have defined, redefined our cultural norms in a way that is not consistent with the Holy Bible. And so Jesus speaks today with power and more relevance even to us today than ever before as he talks about these issues and why he believed that one, not one dot that was written in Scripture would be overturned. Not one dot. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. 
And Jesus speaks out regarding his position on the Bible. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What a great and powerful manifestation by our Lord, the Son of God, speaking to us about the Scriptures, about how truthful the Scriptures are, about how absolute they are, and how we have, have an absolute right to rely on them and to fulfill our, love, our life in accordance with them. Uh, and so we're going to look today at the specific ways that Jesus has taught the truthfulness of Scripture. And he's indicating that he came to fulfill them uh, in every way. Uh, and, and clearly, it's so true because you, when you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what you see is that in every book of the Bible, the manifestation of Jesus Christ is there. The coming of Jesus Christ is there. It's so powerful. And so that's why we study. That's why we pray about it, because his, his, his foretelling of his own life and destiny is so clear. And so the first truth we find here is, as Jesus has laid it out to us, is that the truth and scriptures are absolute. And you can take that to the bank. Absolute. Unchangeable immutable. They become the very rock upon which our faith is built. The Bible is the unchangeable word of God. You don't sit there and decide, I'll take, I'll take something from column A, I'll take something from column B, and you know what? They just didn't have a proper contextual idea about society. Let me tell you, God invented society. God invented this world. And so if you get to the point where you're starting to take one from column A, one from column B, then you are really going against the will of Jesus Christ. The Bible is the supreme court of all supreme courts, the very rock upon which our faith is based. And so Jesus believed that. Jesus believed that the Bible was the supreme authority over life. And so according to Jesus, it was the only way he could live that he had to live in accord with the scriptures. And he wanted his disciples to live in accord with the scriptures. And so it's also clear that when you read these verses that Jesus considered the Bible the inspired word of God. In other words, it was not only authoritative, it was authoritative down to the most minute detail. Uh, and so if you are Christ's disciple, you remain faithful to his teaching by following Scripture. And I would like you to turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, as Paul speaks about this uh, in his letter to Timothy. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it, every part of Scripture, is useful for all these issues, for teaching and rebuking and training us and bringing us closer to God. And look what he says there uh, to Timothy in verse 15. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. What's he talking about there? What scripture is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so he's saying there, he's referring to the fact that the Old Testament is absolutely authoritative. It is the, well, the unmitigated word of God uh, and that you need to follow it because it will, in fact, bring you closer to God and give you the kind of life that God wants you to have. And so we have to reflect upon the fact that Jesus Christ wasn't essentially the author of the Old Testament through the Holy Spirit. Even though it was written by men, the very pen that was being held in the hands of men was being moved by the Spirit of God. And that Spirit was Jesus Christ. And so from Genesis to Revelation, all of it is, all of it is the absolute revealed word of God. And so here's the point. Jesus came to this earth to fulfill the scriptures about him. And then when he came to this earth, he taught the people. He taught the disciples about what it said. And then, effectively, he died in accordance with the scripture, fulfilling every single aspect of the Bible. And Jesus is telling us that here. And so, it's so powerful when you hear the Son of God speak to us like this. Now, all of this is borne out by Christ's handling, handling of scriptural texts, and I'm trying to do that this morning to you so you get a sense uh, of what this is about. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4, because you're going to see here how Jesus handles uh, temptation and how he uses scripture uh, to really defend his position and defend the will of God. This is the, the important story of Jesus being tempted after 40 days in the wilderness, after, after he hadn't eaten or drunk anything, and now Satan comes at that weak moment and seeks to destroy Jesus. End it right there. Destroy him there. End this mission right there, and you see how Jesus responds. Uh, it's so appropriate for us to look at it. Beginning in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. How's that? If, as if he didn't know. If you are the Son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. Uh, and Jesus said, uh, it is not proper for man to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Where did that come from? It came from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. That's where it came from, in the book of Moses. As Moses, through the word of God, was telling the Israel people that, the, that they did not, should not function and limit themselves to the physical issues of life, worrying about where they were going to eat or where they were going to stay, but live rather by the word of God, by what comes out of the mouth of God. Uh, and you see how Satan seeks to destroy the will of God. Continuing on, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Can you imagine that? 
He took him up, I'm sure, through the Spirit. And if you are the Son of God, he said, again, if you are the Son of God, uh, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. And now Satan is going to attempt to cite Scripture. But here's the thing. He will cite it incorrectly. And he says, therefore, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That comes out of Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12. Well, take a look at what the correct citation is in Psalm 91. And I'm doing this because I want to show you the power and authority of the Scripture. Psalm 91, uh, verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Underline it. In all your ways. You don't tempt a God. You don't throw yourself off a building. But in all your ways as you're walking as a godly person serving God, in all your ways, then he will protect you. And then it continues to guard you in all your ways. Uh, They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So you see how Jesus is using Scripture uh, to indict Satan, to protect uh, the Word of God and protect his mission using Scripture. Uh, And so Satan had conveniently left off that poignant part of Scripture. Uh, And so uh, Jesus answered Satan by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And that verse says, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. We don't test God. We don't say to God, Lord, I want to test you. I'm going to step off this this curb. I'm going to step off this wall because I know you would never let any harm come to me. I'm going to go into a reckless situation. I'm going to go into a place where I shouldn't go uh, because I know you'll be with me. No, he won't. You're testing God. We don't test God. We humbly bow to God. And so you see that here, that, that Jesus understood that. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't, wouldn't allow himself to be used like this. It was horrendous uh, in, in a horrible way. And so you see how Jesus is using Scripture and, and, and really defending himself uh, against Satan. And continuing on uh, through the last temptation there, it says here again in verse 8, Uh, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So you you can imagine what that had to be like. He's effectively saying to Jesus, look, I own this. I have control over this. This is my world. All right. Why make it so hard for yourself? Why do you think you have to go to the cross and be crucified? I'll give you this. It'll be yours. All you have to do, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Uh, And that's Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Thou shalt, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only. Only shalt thou serve. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, the very author of the scriptures that you have, said that the scriptures are absolute in every way and use them in defense of the temptation against Satan, how much more should we be that way? 
How much more should that be a part of our every life? How much more should we be reading it and studying it and incorporating these verses? And so what happens after this is that Jesus left that area of Jordan and went home to Nazareth. He went home to his hometown. And you know, Jesus said in another place that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And it's so true. And so Jesus goes back and you know, they remember him. They remember him as a child. They remember him as the son of a carpenter and Mary. And so they didn't really have uh, a great deal of respect for him, even as Jesus is beginning his ministry. And so I want you to see how Christ uses scripture to set the stage for what he will be. Turn to Luke chapter 4, if you would, uh, beginning in verse 17. And this is all about Jesus uh, really showing us the truth of the scriptures. Uh, And so he went to Nazareth. This is verse 16, Luke chapter 4. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus didn't say, let me see what you got here. You know, you got Genesis, Exodus. No, no, give me Isaiah. No, it didn't happen that way. They had a reading for the week, and the reading for the week was Isaiah. And so they handed Jesus the scroll from Isaiah, all right? Uh, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, okay, Uh, where it is written, quote, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. How's that for a dramatic moment? You like that? You can imagine the synagogue is packed this, this itinerant guy gets up. This carpenter's son gets up. All right? This is not a Pharisee. This is not a trained uh, theologian. He gets up and makes this statement. And it says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, you know what? They didn't like it. They didn't like to hear this. They didn't like to be told this. Uh, And as a result of this, effectively, they rose up against him, uh, and they brought him to an exceeding high place and attempted to throw him off that mountain. And I was there in Israel. I stood on that spot. I saw what kind of a drop it was, and they wanted to kill Jesus. But the Lord touched their eyes. They couldn't see him, and the Lord allowed Jesus to pass through them Uh, without being touched. That's how mighty God is. But you see again, Jesus using the scripture with authority in every way. Jesus is telling us that the scripture is absolute and truthful. Now, here's the other thing that you need to know. On many occasions, other occasions, and I'm trying to distill this uh, message into a reasonable period of time, on many occasions, Jesus appealed to scripture to support his actions. For example, turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, uh, as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And that comes right out of the Old Testament. You'll see that in Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. And so Jesus is saying it's not the first time, it'll be twice that he will go into the temple and, and uh, pull out the money changers, those people who were there not to pray, not to make it a house of prayer, but to effectively to do business there, and Jesus will do that. Well, in reference to his standing on the cross itself, uh, turn to Matthew uh, 26. Matthew 26, verses 53 uh, to 54. Uh, and, and in fact, we'll start with 52. This is, this is in Gethsemane, where they come to arrest Jesus with about 800 to 1,000 soldiers. Uh, and Jesus says to them, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to them. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. By the way, a legion was 8,000, 8,000. So effectively, we're talking about almost 100,000 angels could come. How do you think that would work out? 100,000 angels uh, against these miscreants. And then Jesus said, but how then would the scripture uh, be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? How would it be fulfilled that says it must be happening in this way? He understood. He lived his life in accordance with the Scripture. He'd been called in accordance to the Bible, and he was living his life in every way to show the truthfulness and the authoritativeness of Scripture in any way. Moreover, even the scattering of his disciples on the night of his arrest, and you understand that, they split. Nobody was there. Peter, moreover, denies him three times. There's no one around. Uh, even that, if you turn to Zechariah chapter 13, you're going to see a passage that speaks about this, and Jesus knew it and spoke about it, uh, told Peter the very same thing. Zechariah chapter 13, uh, the second and last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah 13, verse 7, where it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Oh, Lord. Every, and this is written now about 500 years before Christ would be born. In every way. And so even when Jesus is now hanging on the cross, we find him think, think, thinking about Scripture. When he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's a quotation from Psalm 21, Psalm 22, verse 1. It's an absolute quotation from the Psalm of David, written a thousand years before. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he knew Jesus knew what the scriptures had said, and he was fulfilling them in his life in every way. And so it, it also says that he thirsted, that he had thirst, and he would give it, be given a sponge filled with vinegar in order that Psalm 69, verse 21 would be fulfilled. Take a look at that, Psalm 69. 
And I could go on and teach this for hours, all right? I, don't worry, I won't. <laughs> Psalm 69, uh, verse 21 says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. I mean, it, it, you see so much of, of the uh, prophecies of the Bible and the truth of the Bible coming out through the life of Christ in every way. Uh, and, and then one of my favorite passages in the Bible, really, one of my favorite passages is, is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And look at that, because again, this ties up what I'm saying. Turn to Luke 24, if you would, please. Luke 24, beginning with verse uh, 25. Uh, and, and you hear what Jesus is saying. Actually, we'll start with 20, 22, because... Uh, Jesus is giving you a context, and you get, you get a context from the Scripture. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They were still looking for a political savior. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that, he had seen a, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And so they're heartbroken. Their world is destroyed. The person who they thought would lift them out of bondage uh, is dead. And look at what Jesus said in verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter this glory? And then you see here that Jesus will give them, again, one of the great Bible teachings in the history of man. Oh, how I wish I was there. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to... I'm going to ask him to repeat it. He said, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. What was said in the scriptures about him. From Moses to the prophets to every word, he gave it to them in that seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and I've been to Emmaus, all right? Uh, and all you see are some uh, foundations and uh, uh, buildings that have been destroyed. But, you know, there would be no reason to go there other than the fact that this is where Jesus met with these two disciples. And so then they were so, they, they were so filled with seeing who Jesus was that they constrained him. Stay with us. Stay with us and have dinner. And so he stays with them. And so at dinner that night, uh, as they have dinner, Jesus takes the bread, and in exactly the same way that he broke the bread at the Last Supper, Jesus breaks the bread, and they knew. They knew. It's him. It's Jesus. The Holy Spirit touched their heart. The revelation of who Jesus was comes home. And, and so you see it, and Jesus disappeared. And so they went back and said, oh, didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn? And so you see it. It's clear from all these passages all of these passages, that the very life of Christ put his authority and seal of approval on every single passage in the Bible. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of the writings are authoritative. To Lord Jesus, all of it was the unmitigated and unchangeable word of God. 
and that's how we should be. It had the authority like nothing else in this world would ever have. And so this becomes critical to our relationship of Jesus Christ. And so if you say to me today, if you say to me, well, I believe in Jesus, but you know, I, don't, I got a problem with the, the creation account. That's eh, a little hard to swallow. I can't swallow that. Or, you know, I read about Abraham, but I find it hard to believe there was a real Abraham. And you know the story of Moses, it's a little hard to believe that he took three million Jews out of Egypt and then brought them across the Red Sea, and the Red Sea opened. You know, I believe in that Jesus was there, and I believe in Jesus, but I can't believe all this stuff. Well, if that's the case, if that's where you are, then you are destroying your relationship with Christ. You can't have it both ways. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you must believe in the authority of Scripture. Amen, church? And so Jesus said it, everything that has been written, everything, every dot, every period, everything will be fulfilled. It is the promise of God. You know, St. Augustine, that great saint, said it uh, in about the year 500, 400 or so, uh, and what he said uh, is really very poignant. He said that the two books must always go together. The Old Testament and the New Testament must always go together. And he said that the New Testament is latent in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is patent in the New Testament. How about that? Latent, latent in the Old Testament. Late, the Old Testament is latent in the New, and the New Testament is effectively patent. A patent there, Old patent with the Word of God. And so you see this. You see the powerful aspect of the prophecies of God in every way. And so Jesus said it very well in John chapter 10, verse 35, where he said that Scripture cannot be broken. Cannot be broken. And that's my message to you today, church. Believe in this, because Jesus told you to believe in it. His life fulfilled every aspect of this. If it says it in Scripture, you can take it to the bank. Don't change it. Don't take something from column A and something from column B. Don't write it. Don't be sucked in when you see people today, even theologians who will give you a spin and come up with some new doctrine. Jesus repudiates it. It's repudiated because here's the bottom line. If it's not in here, then it's not true then it's false. This is the only revealed word of God according to the very Son of God. Amen, church? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us today, for the life of Christ who fulfilled the Scripture in every way. Lord, I ask you that this message resonate in our hearts, that when we leave here, we're on fire to read your word, and we know that it is your word that will be the lamp post to our life. That is how we will live our life. That's how we'll walk, Father. Reading this scripture and praying and putting it into our heart in accordance with your will and the will of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you bless this church, that you protect them, that you fill them with your spirit, that as we walk out of here, these lessons will glow in our heart and strengthen us as we go out to a world that is lost and leave this message of hope. God bless you, church. Amen. To John, 